TCU football. I don't know if I'm saying this right, Melissa. Juan won one a football game on Saturday over the I, Baylor Bears, 42 wop, to 17. Wop Wha- a won a football game. Yeah, something uh, like over, that. Over rival in the, the storied uh, Blue Bonnet battle, 42 mm-hmm. to 17. We're going to get into all of that, plus a little men's and women's shooty hoops talk here on this episode of Frogs Insider. Let's dive in. Welcome in to the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here alongside Melissa Treewasser back for another episode. And Melissa, it is so refreshing to sit down, put the old headset on, turn yeah. on the microphone, and talk about a TCU football victory. It's been a while. Been a couple weeks. Been a couple weeks. Yeah. Sonny Dykes even noted as much in his post-game press conference on Saturday night, said it was good to get a win. It's been a minute since we've had one. Uh, because their last win was Josh Huber's first start of the season, which was BYU, uh, and that was five games ago. So God, it's been that long. Three consecutive losses after the win to BYU, and uh, you know Kansas State, Texas Tech, and Texas all getting the better of the Horn Frogs, but not Baylor, not Baylor, and and nor should they because it has been. I mean, if we think it's been a long time since CCU football has had a win. How does Baylor feel about how long it's been since they've had a win over TCU? Well, they've, they, they're feeling pretty pre-COVID yeah, about their last win over TCU. Four years. Four years, eight out of the last nine. TCU now owns the all-time series 59-53-7. to 53 to seven. Pretty good little pretty good little run by our Horned Frogs against, against the Baylor Bears. But, Melissa, there were a couple of really good points uh, in this game, a couple of cool moments, some really big plays. I want to get into all of that with you. Uh, before we do that, though, obviously, got a little podcast business to take care of. So want to make sure that we take a, a moment and welcome everybody to the show. If you have been a longtime listener, obviously, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. This is Frogs Insider. Uh, whether you've been listening since the first episode or this is your first time listening, we would really, really, really appreciate it if you would go to wherever you get this podcast and hit that rating button, leave us five stars. That helps the little algorithm in the podcast machine, which I assume is just like a bunch of hamsters running in wheels somewhere. And it I thought puts it was that, just a bunch of little Elon Musks. A little Elon could, Musks, little yeah, Elon, mini Elons running around. Yeah handing this podcast out manually into other people's uh, suggested pods so that they can maybe also listen to us analyze TCU athletics. And if you're not aware, we do have a YouTube channel. We post all of our podcasts there along with some other video content throughout the week, including post-game press conferences for all the sports that we're at, other clips of stuff as well. Um, You can go hit the subscribe button on that. It's YouTube slash Frogs Insider. And like this video, make sure that you are uh, subscribed there and hit that little bell that you can see on the YouTube page and you'll get notifications every time we go live over there or publish a new video or whatever it might be. So that's all of that for the podcast stuff. Also, though, we would be remiss if we did not give a big hearty shout out to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is the place that you need to go. Melissa, for all of your game day needs, from hats to polos to pullovers to hoodies to t-shirts to the koozies that you put around whatever beverage you're drinking on game day, be it Coke or something stronger, go to home, uh, go to hell's. <laughs> My dog is barking in the background as well, so it's going great right now. Um, go to hellshalfacresg.com, buy whatever you want from that website. I would recommend all of it. Oh, I meant to do something. Please hold. We're leaving all of this in. All right. While Jamie's doing that, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention one thing about both. Listen, we all saw. I have a story, show. Melissa. You, oh, Jamie I have has a story, story for you. Okay, I took you took your headphones off, so I was I was vamping. But uh, let's hear your story. I'm sorry, I took my headphones off. So, if you follow me on Twitter, folks, listeners, you'll know that I tried to purchase one of the new. Red eye horn frog head hoodies, as did from the, I from the TCU campus store. Mm-hmm. I got so far down the line that I got a confirmation email. Yep. They took Same. the money out of my bank account, mm-hmm. all of those things, and then five hours later, I got an email saying that hey, we canceled your order. Now, 
Should be noted that I'm still waiting on the campus store to give me the money part back. Uh, Waiting on that still. Would be pretty cool if they did that soon. Um, But I also got a message from Steven, who is the founder and owner of Hell's Half Acre Stadium Mm -hmm. Goods. And he said, Jamie, I saw the hoodie tweet. Really sorry for you, but I got you covered. And so he sent me a little graphic and then said, you want me to get you one at the baseball game? I said, absolutely, I do. And he hit me with Uh, this polo with the new little logo on it, which is technically a throwback logo. 1966 is the only season they wore that logo on the helmet all year. Uh, Yeah. So shout out to Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. They don't leave you hanging. They don't take your bank account for granted. And they'll give you a product in return for your cold, hard-earned cash. So... I, to I, I too failed in my attempt to purchase, um, but I didn't get a cool Hell's Half Acre pull. But it's okay. Um, I mean, I paid I still, for it. Yeah, I paid for I, it, but it was hand delivered, right? Yeah, like, it's what kind of service is that? That's hand delivered. Are you kidding? It's the best. Incredible. You know, and as we get close to the holidays, if people are starting to think about, I, I hear this question. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. You guys all know this. I hear this question all the time. What do I get my dad? What do I get my mom mm-hmm. for Christmas? What do I get the person who has everything? I can think of nothing better than a lovely polo sweatshirt koozie from Hell's Half Acre or a wonderful hoodie from the college of your choice. Let's say I, you know, I have a lot of students that maybe mm-hmm. will be going to TCU, won't be going to TCU, but maybe there's another college. What a great gift for you early admission people who might know your college decision before Christmas to be able to gift your parents with a lovely hoodie in exchange for the many, many thousands of dollars in tuition they're going to be spending on you for the next four to eight years. So, you know, these are all things to think about. Um, and and if you're going to buy them, buy them for the people that support us because we appreciate that. Super thankful for both of our, our sponsors and, and with Homefield Apparel right now too, obviously it's Black Friday going on right now. Yeah. So you can get 20%. 20% off of anything on the website, which is massive. 25% if you're a VIP member. There you go. So that's a fun little tidbit. And if you're getting after something like, I don't know, the incredibly stunning TCU bomber jacket or even oh. the TCU shirt that Melissa's wearing and repping on the YouTube cha- channel yeah. right now. Uh, yeah, it's worth that extra 5% off. Yeah. yeah. Um, so sign up to be a VIP over there as well. Very thankful for both of them. Okay. Podcast business. Check that box. We're moving on. TCU beats Baylor 42 to 17 on Saturday. They're now five and six on the season. And Melissa, they've got one game left. We're going to preview it later this week to get to bowl eligibility. But step one of bowl eligibility, a bowl eligibility achievement status was beating Baylor. And they checked that box pretty significantly. Handedly, yeah. What was and your you- what was your first impression, I guess, of, of TCU beating Baylor? Jamie, the first thing I want to ask you, and I think this is the most important thing, is you were there in person. You were you were in the press box. You spent some time on the field. Did you get misty-eyed when you saw the Blue Bonnet Battle Trophy in person for the first time? I know you'd seen it at the press conference, but seeing it on that field, seeing it carried around, um, was, was that an emotional so, moment for you? I don't know if this is because I told you this already or not, but it wasn't on the field originally. <laughs> they forgot it, didn't they? I don't know what happened. I didn't ask about it. So maybe I just missed it. I could have just missed it. But what I do know is that our, our dear friend, Ray Cartwright over at the Lepton drinking club was on what he called shield watch for most of the game, which meant that he was standing down there just waiting for someone to, uh, you know, remember that a trophy was involved with this football game now. Uh, and he put a, a couple pictures up on his Twitter, Twitter page, but um at one point, someone brought it out, and it was just the shield portion. So we know now it detaches from the base. Yep. It's just the shield portion, and they like gently rested it, shield side facing the padding, like on the sideline, just like yeah. basically, like the picture looks like it's resting near a gutter. Yeah. And then afterwards, Ray was telling me this on Saturday night. He was like waiting for someone again to remember that a trophy exists for this game, until. Like and it took until the game ended, and then like all the handshaking and stuff that happens, and then the alma mater played, and then Andrew Coker like saw it and ran over and grabbed it, and then walked off the field with it. And so that was that was how much uh, people embraced the Blue Bonnet Battle Trophy in year one. 
Yeah, I, I do want to just give a shameless plug here. Um, uh, Ted Harrison, who is a, a one of the good Baylor people, there aren't many, but he's definitely one of them, um, created a trophy, uh, rivalry-esque trophy for the fan bases to pass around. Currently taking nominations um, for the the TCU fan to be keeper of the rivalry trophy. Um, so you can head over to my Twitter at the Coach Melissa if you want to cast your vote. Um, there you go. I think we all love the rivalry name. Um, I think, you know, we'll, we'll support anything we win. So I'll, I'll take the blue bonnet battle, but if you have a, a fan you'd like to nominate or nominate yourself uh, to be keeper of the trophy, it's a very cool old school fire extinguisher, which seems like a perfect fitting rivalry trophy. Um, you can definitely, I'll pin that tweet so people can find Good. it. Um, but first impressions of the game. Um, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I really don't. Um, I went into this season um, thinking that, you know, I, I think I said early on, I thought TCU's ceiling was probably seven, eight wins. Um, I, I was a little bit low on just how much we had to replace. I got, I let myself get talked into the potential of this being an eight, nine or 10 win team over the course of fall camp. I think we all feel a little bit burned by, by mm-hmm. what we heard coming out of camp in August. Um, I've come to acceptance that, that this is, this is what we, kind of expected and what we should have expected and, and what was expected of us. Um, if you paid attention outside of, of what was said in the building, right. Um, what TCU is, is a team that's really, really good at making bad teams look awful. Mm. And we saw that against Baylor and we saw that against BYU. Um, we saw that against Houston and, and, you know, BYU obviously gave Oklahoma a great run. Um, you know, Houston has, has looked improved in moments too. Um, but TCU has been able to exploit the weaknesses of their opponents when their opponent has a giant gaping weakness and looked Mm -hmm. really good doing that. I think we're also seeing Josh Hoover develop. Um, You know, he's, he can sling it. The dude can make all the throws to use the most tired cliche in all of quarterbacking. Right. But he certainly can do that. Um, His accuracy is good when he's given time and the offensive line played well enough against a really, really bad Baylor defense to let him sit back and pick people apart. I also love the way that he used his legs. I was super excited um, about what he looked like as a as the quarterback run game, although I was terrified every time he took off. Um, but but there are st- certainly still flaws on this team that, you know, when you, when you look at who TC's next opponent is um, and, and what Oklahoma has been for the majority of the season, even if Dylan Gabriel does not make the start on Friday, um, there are still flaws in this team, but they are playing a lot harder. Yeah, They're playing a lot more complete. Uh, but it was, was it Josh Newton that said they're, they've stopped playing selfishly the last two weeks. Yes. He said um, that on Monday afternoon. And and so that, that to me, that gives me a lot of concerns about what took so long, where has the leadership and the account- accountability been in the locker room, but that switch did seem to turn on. And, and I will listen, Texas was not trying to, they were not all gas, no breaks. They, the brakes were being pushed. The e-brake doesn't pulled against against CCU, but the, the brakes were being, were being tapped here. Um, but CCU played with a lot of fight. They played with a lot of fire in that second half and they, you know, a slow first half again against Baylor, but, but they really turned it on, um, you know, at the end of the second quarter, Dave Aranda and, and that staff made some very questionable decisions that enabled TC to just kind of step on their necks and, and basically kill the bears. Um, you know, they were, they were dead and gone by the time the blue bonnet uh, battle trophy was found. So um, all we could do is be excited about progress that's made. And there's been some progress the last two weeks. Um, but I don't think that any of the issues have been fixed. I'll say it that way. You know, it's, it's, it's telling when uh, a team struggles one week in a certain area and then looks incredibly good the next week in an area and even from like half to half that happens sometimes with this TCU Mm -hmm. team and there's still just some execution inconsistencies that Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know as you know fans have lamented on Twitter and on 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 the message boards and and everywhere else uh, it's really frustrating right yeah it's even more frustrating for the coaching staff to sure. see players go out and make the same kind of execution mistakes they were making in week one or in fall camp or last spring or whenever it was. And the challenge becomes then how do we identify exactly what's going on when we have coaching questions or when we have execution questions, when we have uh, quality of competition questions And so when you look at TCU's offensive line, this is where I want to start from last week to this week, last week, when they really, really struggled protecting 
Josh at times. They gave up three sacks. He was hurried, I believe, nine times. Um, the run game did not have a lot of success in that game, even when TCU started to get things going offensively in the second half. And then you come out this week against Baylor, and Hoover doesn't get touched at all, barely hurried, throws for over 400 yards and a couple touchdowns, but the run game still struggles a little bit. You start to see, okay, there's maybe a little bit of a consistency. We can start to identify something that's going on here. And for me, when I watched this game on Saturday, my biggest question was, what, you know, how much did we undersell losing Steve Avila, Alana Lee, and Wes Harris off of last year's team? And it's something yeah. we've been talking about all season, but there were some moments with the interior of this offensive line where, as you mentioned, it's not a very good defensive front that Baylor's rolling out there, but they were still, especially in the run blocking game, the left side of that line was just struggling, struggling tremendously. And there were moments where I looked down and something's happened in the backfield or Imani's lost a yard or he stopped at the line. And then you have, John Lands and and Colton Deary kind of looking at each other like, wait, who was supposed to do what? And I don't know. Look, and I'll be honest, Jeremy said this on the Frogcast earlier this week. There's got to be some sort of communication thing going on there between those two guys where either the call's not getting from the center to the guard like it should, or the call's not being processed from the, from the, by, by the guard from the center as it should. Something's going on. My dogs are running up and down the hallway right now. <laughs> and um, it's causing a lot of problems for TCU, specifically in the run blocking game. And when you have a young quarterback who you'd like to, you know, be able to play off of the run game of Amani Bailey, because you've got an excellent running back as well, a thousand yard rusher, um, that takes away so much from your offense. And I'll give you an example. TCU tried on their second time in um, so on their first trip to the red zone on Saturday, they got the ball inside the five yard line of Baylor on, on second down, right? So you're second and goal from the two. The next play they run is a running play that gets absolutely stuffed mm-hmm. third down and two. It's another running play in the middle, a gap that gets absolutely stuffed. And I can't remember which lineman it was, but a lineman gets blown back so hard that he runs into Bailey, knocks the ball out of Bailey's hand. It's a fumble. Baylor recovers, right? But that's not the first time this year we've seen TCU struggle to get two yards running the ball. So next time, what happens in the red zone? Okay, well, it's third and one. Let's see again. Can we get a yard? They couldn't get a yard. So now it's fourth and one. And what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to slam your head into the brick wall if you're Kendall Bryles and, and Sonny Dykes? And say, well, let's try a fourth time of just running it in the A gap, see if we can't get a yard this time. When you've been, when when the answer's been no, the first three times you've tried it. All right. Well, if we know we can't get a yard the traditional way, how do we have to go about getting a yard in this situation? Are we going to throw the ball? Maybe. Are we going to run to the edge? Okay, let's try that. And so that's when we get this like jet sweep situation going on with Savion Williams, who gets tracked down in the flat, doesn't get the yard, it's turnover on downs. That play call happens because you don't trust the inside of your offensive line to get you a yard when you need a yard. And so there's been a lot of conversation about red zone issues for TCU this year. They've got, including turnovers on downs, they've turned the ball over 15 times in the red zone this year, which leads the country. But so much of that starts with how do you feel as a play caller, how confident are you in what your team is capable of doing when you really need one or two yards? And I don't think the coaching staff trusts this offensive line to get them enough push to get a yard when they need one. I mean, I hope that's the reason that we're seeing some of these play calls on short yardage, at least. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and and I will say, um, you know, I, I do think that it's a fine balance between not trusting your guys to execute at that level and then also overthinking a little bit. And I think that we've seen that, especially on the offensive side of the ball, a little bit of both. Um, so I think you you brought up some great points as to why we something see something like Savion Williams on a jet sweep with a all this extra motion uh, because because consistently TCU is not converted in third and fourth and short. But um, I, I would like to see. 
I don't want to say more creativity because I think we're trying to be too creative, maybe, but a little bit less cute, you know, more, maybe more play action, maybe more run pass option, different things like that. So I, I think that there is still, there's obviously issues on the offensive line, especially the interior offensive line. Um, I, I think that's, you know, the most obvious place TC needs to get better quickly if they want to be competitive in 2024. Um, but I'd also like to see a little bit more, um, uh, consistency or um care in in the play calling in those situations to just making things that are a little bit easier for a young quarterback to be in charge of and responsible for that have less of a kind of maybe a higher floor even if it's a lower ceiling and I, I think we've been getting some low floor low ceiling play calls in those scenarios but it, it makes sense because there is a lack of trust in being able to convert those short yarded situations um mm -hmm. and, and this is just a year and, and i think we started to see more and more people talk about this uh there was a tweet i can't remember who uh what what national writer put it out but that that tc leads the country now in one score losses at oh and five they're the, they're they're They've lost five games without winning a single one score game mm -hmm. um, after getting, we've talked about this after getting every single bounce and break a season ago, yeah. six and one, make, six and one in one score games this season. Yeah. Ago. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, uh, uh, maybe a missed call away from, from being, you know, seven and seven zero. And but, yeah. but after all of that, they've just gotten absolutely none of them. And if we cash in all of our goodwill in 2022, so be it, that leads to this season. Um, but I think when you talk about, the execution issues on those small things, you do make your own luck to a degree. And TCU is mm -hmm. not executed at a level high enough to make any of their own luck in 2023. No, they really haven't. And even one of the things that I think we haven't talked enough about, about the 2022 season is that even when the execution was lacking, yeah, there were just some dudes that could go make plays. Yeah. Right. Like Max, Max's run on that in, in the big 12 championship in the fourth quarter, was yeah. a broken, Unbelievable. Yeah. poorly executed play by a couple of wide receivers, by the offensive line, and Max just went out and ran it 85 yards or whatever it was. Bless you. And um, made a play happen. You right? just blessed me out of that sneeze. And I'm, I'm so, so sorry. mad. <laughs> so now sorry. it's stuck. Oh, I'm so it's the sorry. feeling in the entire um, world. I muted everything so I could sneeze. <laughs> and then JB blessed me preemptively, and now the sneeze is not coming. I gave you the gave you the pre-blessing. That's my yeah. bad. Um, okay. You know, and you think about the Kansas game last year. Yeah. Darius Davis and Quentin Johnson making incredible yeah, catches in the end zone on yeah. throws that probably should not have We're been thrown perfect. by Max Duggan. And you've got D winners out there yeah. just patrolling the flats last year. You've got Dylan Horton being a one-man wrecking crew on the edge. Yeah. Um, and so we we definitely undersold the amount that TCU was losing talent wise, and we also undersold how capable that talent was of making up for bad execution. Well, that talent was all really, really old guys. Yeah, yeah. those are those were all dudes that had played a ton of football, mm -hmm. and that accounts for something too. Because even if you look at someone like Savion Williams, who's finally the last couple of weeks started to kind of turn it on you know he was not a leading receiver for tcu in his first three years on campus you know this is the first year he's been the guy and gotten the majority of the snaps at that position and so experience goes a long way towards being able to make those types of plays and and tcu lost you know incredible talent to the nfl there's a reason a lot of those dudes are on nfl rosters we won't talk about how successful they are i don't want to talk about the i don't want to talk about it i don't want to talk about it I saw oh, it live. God, I, so not live. Like I was watching it in real time, and uh, man, made my hearing about it on national shows this morning just made me sad too. But, but yeah, but you know that th those were, and they weren't just guys on the field; they were guys off the field. And I think you know, going back to this particular game, Josh Newton's quote about the lack of selfish play since the Texas game that didn't take until game nine in twenty twenty two. Yeah. And that's the difference, again, between just guys that have played a lot of football, guys that have those intangibles that are stars off the field that have that have the ability or on the field that have the ability to be great off the field, too. They just didn't have that. And, you know, I think, you know, we're going to touch a little bit on recruiting and, and some of the, the news or not news that's really been happening in that area. But when you are trying to build a roster, and that's going to be the interesting thing in the transfer portal era is how do you get those guys that are invested in building your program, not just invested on a season by season basis, because that's what I think is really lacking in Sunny Dyke's biggest challenge this off season 
is going to be not just building that leadership amongst his coaching staff and that accountability that seemed to be lacking for a good portion of the season um, mm -hmm. from coach to player, but also building the foundation for the future, being able to hold on to some of those super, super talented guys that they brought in for this year and helping them build, uh, you know, kind of be the keystone pieces for building TCU football back up into a consistently successful program and one that's going to be a part of that 12 team conversation um, for the, for the postseason for the next several years. So uh, it's that, you know, we, we all want, we all say, go to the portal and fix the issues, go to the portal and find your veteran offensive line, but you can't just bring in dudes that can play football. I mean, like everyone is, st I, I still get at least one text a week from somebody complaining that we put Deion Sanders on the map by losing that opening game for the first six weeks. Um, but, but you're seeing the results of that too. You can't just bring in mercenaries. You mm -hmm. got to bring some of your luggage with you all four years, yeah, you know? Exactly. And I mean, you want to talk about recruiting woes. Uh, look at where Colorado's recruiting class yeah. for next year is ranked. It's like 71. It's behind Colorado yeah. state. And so flash doesn't get you everything you need all the time. Um, is my commentary on Colorado these days, but uh, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, and we're, I, trust me, if you're listening to this and you're like, God, they won 42 to 17. This is the whole conversation. I'm, I want to talk about Jared Wiley. I want to talk about Imani Bailey and Josh Uberstay. We're going to get to that in just a second. Um, I, I Development is so critically important for schools like TCU. And I said this in the mailbag last week, schools like TCU are, pretty much always going to be on a four-year developmental plan, a four-year cycle, and every th maybe three with the portal now, but every three to four years, you're, you're going to have a veteran-laden, talented team that is capable of competing for conference and, and national championships, right? That's the goal. But part of that is maintaining a healthy high school recruiting ranks of guys that Maybe they're not going to come in right away as freshman or sophomore and contribute, but you know that by their junior year, they're going to be ready to freaking go. And that way you don't have to hit the portal every single year for four offensive linemen or for four wide receivers or for two quarterbacks or whatever it is, because you have guys waiting in the wings. They just need a time. They just need a year, right? Or, or two years. They just need time. And I, I talked about this with Kirk Sarlos for baseball a couple of weeks ago when I was asking him, you know, because baseball has this unique situation where they're recruiting high school kids. Now they're hitting the portal for kids and they've always got to keep their like one eye out for the MLB draft and say, yeah. when is the draft going to take a kid away? And, you know, Sarlos broke it down and said, we want at the very minimum to make sure that we have a very healthy high school class coming in. We don't have to expect all of these kids to contribute right away. And the portal is super helpful with that. Because we can bring in some veteran guys, bring in some guys who have what you can't teach, which is experience, and allow the high school kids that we know need a year or two to develop to do just that. Because the worst thing you could do to stunt a kid's development is to put them in too early. Mm -hmm. And then they start to struggle. Confidence wanes. The game's too fast. And then it stunts development. You, we've all seen it a lot at the college level, a guy gets in too soon and his development is stunted because of that or her development. And, you know, I think that with what TCU and Sunny Ducks are trying to do right now from a football perspective is make up for two really bad recruiting classes in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. There are not a lot of folks from those classes left on this roster. A lot of them transferred down to G5 or even lower. And some of them aren't even playing football anymore. Right. And uh, so when you're trying to fill those gaps with portal players to make sure that you can field a competitive roster, plus bring in some guys to develop and, and build over time, there are still going to be some gaps. The veteran group last year covered up a ton of those gaps. A lot of those gaps are really exposed this year. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that 2024 is necessarily going to be a whole lot better, especially when you consider the fact that four starters off of this offensive line are graduating. So now you've got to replace four guys off of this offensive line. And 
you know, that means you're hitting the portal probably again because the linemen that you've got on your roster behind them are all really young. I mean, they're starting, they're throwing Ben Taylor Whitfield out there as a true freshman because that's one of the only guys they can trust. Right. Well, and and you're hopeful that they're going to just sign as many high school linemen on both sides of the ball as they can over the next several years and start restacking that depth so that mm-hmm. you are just doing yeah. patch and play. You know, I think and and I know it's like really fun right now to shit on USC and Lincoln Riley. And I know everyone kind of takes a little bit of joy from from no seeing Lincoln Riley fail. But, you know, you talk about the end of the Gary Patterson era and how bad recruiting was, you know, and, and just the this the the roster depletion that you know, existed once that senior class left. USC was in a similar, if not worse situation. I mean, that program had fallen uh, pretty on pretty hard times. You mm-hmm. know, they, they weren't recruiting nearly at the level um, that they were expected to. They'd missed on some guys that were supposed to be big stars. And so, you know, when you look at, at Lincoln Riley and USC and how bad they've looked, especially on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, you've got Caleb Williams and he can cover a lot of sins, but at the end of the day, um, can't play safety. We can't play. Yeah. And, and there was a total rebuild that needed to happen in, in SoCal. And, and so that's, he's taking his lumps and I'm sure the Oklahoma fans are really, really happy to see it. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it takes time. It takes time to build a roster. You can't just show up. Sunny Dykes got really, really lucky in the timing of when he got to take over TCU because of the senior class that he had, not just from a talent standpoint, but from a leadership standpoint and from especially offensive line play standpoint i mean when you inherit a second round draft pick senior and you are able to get a guy like alana lee to come over um in that year you can it makes up for a lot of a lot of mistakes there so um it's it's frustrating and i think i I guess if i were to go back in time and have a conversation with sunny dykes at the end of july what i would tell him is bro be honest yeah you can talk all you want about how great this freshman class is, but you need to say this freshman class is great, but they're not ready to play. Mm-hmm. And we've got, you know, we we just, gra- I would have emphasized all the guys you just sent to the league and de-emphasized how great everybody looks in practice and how great everybody looked in fall camp and how physically different everybody is. Cause I, I think he, he was doing what he thought he was supposed to do coming off of that season. But I, I think it did more harm than good. Obviously yeah. when we saw the results on the field. Uh, I, I love that you bring that up because one of my favorite things about Jamie Dixon is how brutally honest he is about yep. his teams at certain times. And so, you know, we're going into get, uh, game five of that team. And since like late August, early September, when I started showing up at their workouts and, and chatting with some folks and all this kind of stuff, the mantra that I have heard is we're really good in transition. Offensively, we're going to look a lot different. A lot more guys are going to touch the basketball. We have a long way to go defensively. And what have we seen the first four games for TCU? Hey, they just dropped 43 points in transition over the weekend. Uh, but their rebounding is not quite there yet. And the defense isn't quite there yet. It's improving tremendously. And Jamie Dixon will be as honest as any coach in the country about exactly where his team is right now and what they need to improve upon. And the best thing that that does for a fan base is give them realistic expectations because like when I'm managing a game thread on Horn Frog Blitz for a basketball game, half the comments are, wow, Jamie was right. Jamie Dixon, Jamie was right. Uh, they got they got to do X, Y, and Z on defense a little bit better. Or yeah, these guards aren't all Mike Miles or Damian Ball yet, but we can see what like the thought process was in yeah. getting them all here or get the thought process was in getting a couple big men to have some depth because we see that Uday is not quite as polished offensively, but Mostafa yes. is, right? But yeah. Well, we also see the freak both. athlete that Uday <laughs> is and how great of a rebounder he is, and that's maybe not Mostafa's strong point. And so just honesty from a coach is so refreshing when you get it. And I'm not necessarily even saying that Sonny Dykes was being dishonest because I don't yeah. think he was. And uh, I, I want to take a moment, and then I swear to God we're going to get into some good news about this football game. But I've been thinking about this too because – I think Sonny's been catching a lot of heat this season for one of the the claims he made in the fall. And that claim was, this is one of the top three most talented teams I've ever seen or I've ever coached, right? I believe that still. Right now, week 11, going into the final week of the season. Because think about the teams that he's coached before he got to TCU. Yeah, that's okay. Look where else he's been. Right? Like, he came from Louisiana Tech and Cal, where you had to beg people to come play football there. And he's still at Louisiana Tech produce a very good product 
right? Cal's a different story because Cal has problems beyond just the football coach and other institutional things. SMU, great football program while he was coaching there, brought in a lot of really talented kids, but still not the level that TCU typically recruits and brings in. And he put a really good product on the field there. And so then he comes in here. Yeah, I think it probably is one of the top three most talented rosters he's ever coached as the head coach, right? Um, I don't know that. uh, I think we took that part of his message about this fall camp and ran with that. Yeah. And we all interpreted that from our experience, our lived experience as TCU people of saying, holy shit, TCU's had some like insanely talented teams. Yeah. And Sonny Dykes is saying this is like a top three most talented team he's ever coached. Well, Sonny Dykes hadn't been here for 25 years. He's been here for two. And so I'm wondering if maybe we misconstrued some of the things that Sonny said in the fall where he was speaking from his experience and we were hearing from ours and things got lost in communication. But you also got to know who you're talking to. True. And you're talking to a fan base coming off of a national championship run. Yeah. I, that's and true. I think that's just, that's a lesson for him to learn because you mentioned the places that he's been. He's never had the kind of media attention that he absorbed heading into this year's fall camp. Mm-hmm. Like never, never has TCU, never has Sunny Dykes had to deal with the kind of pressure expectations or run um, that, that he took TCU on in 2022. And so he'll learn from that as well. I think so. Um, you know, but, but TCU fans are, you know, now that tuition is set to be more expensive than Harvard at TCU, which is, which is a thing that that's happening, you know, that's where we have high expectations. Um, My kids will never go to TCU. I, yeah, it's just I, never going to happen. The, the conversations I have with students on a, on a day-to-day basis of like, oh, I know you love TCU. How much of a loan are you willing to take out if you have to take out a loan? Because even yeah. at my private school, it's yikes. It's pricey. Um, can, hey, I, can we talk about good good football? Can we talk about Jared Wiley? God, I love Jared Wiley. I, 178 Jared Wiley, yards, seven catches, two touchdowns. He jumped from the five-yard line to score his second touchdown over like a mass of humanity. Yeah. And I think he knocked the wind out of himself while doing it because he had to have a trainer come out and look at him. But good Lord, that guy. What a yeah. freaking day. Hard, hard thing to do, too, when you're, you know, 39 years old, which Jared Wiley feels <laughs> like sometimes he is. Um, Who's older, Jared Wiley or Jordy or Sandy? Jordy Sandy. Jordy Sandy. Jordy Sandy is going to go straight from TCU football to the AARP. Um, <laughs> it's Sorry, Jordy. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it was it was a blast. Uh, I, I think. I think we've all been waiting for the Jared Wiley game since he arrived on campus. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's had some incredible games. Like I don't want to belittle his accomplishments and and his contributions to TCU football, but that's the game that we've been waiting to see a TCU tight end have for the last 25 years. Um, And it was awesome. And, and, you know, I, I know we love to, to, to throw the offensive coordinator under the bus and, and for good reason often, but that was a, a, a situation too, where he was calling plays that were going to help Josh Hoover find the hot hand and Jared mm-hmm. Wiley and Jared Wiley just exploited the crap out of a Baylor defense. that looks super disinterested in touching him. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that guy run live. I don't want to try and tackle him. I yeah. don't blame Baylor's defenders for getting the heck out of the way. I, I, I do want to note the first touchdown he scored the 81 yard touchdown. Yeah. I think that's the longest he's ever run consecutively. Um, and his life, both, both seconds and yards. And yeah. he catches that ball. First of all, Josh Huber does an incredible job of looking off one of the one of the secondary. Uh, I think it's a safety. He looks him off, and that just clears the way. It's like Red it's Sea parting the for placement. for Wiley. Yeah, the ball the was dropped in there beautifully. Ball. It was an excellent throw. How many times, Melissa, have we seen a quarterback miss a wide open receiver down the seam or our, throw behind life, him? Right, so and that then he, he has can. to catch it, and then he falls, or a defender catches up, or whatever. It was a beautifully placed ball from Josh. And Huber. Jared Wiley is not the fastest man on the planet, so you had to lead him. You had to get it there, <laughs> and then my favorite part of that play is Savion Williams. Savion, yeah. first of all, beats his man. So Josh could have thrown the ball to him, and it probably would have been a touchdown as well. Savion sees the ball going to Jared, breaks his route, and cuts off the defender that's trying to make up ground and just stays between him and Jared for the west the rest of the way to the end yeah. zone. And then is Jared's ultimate hype man once they score. Um Josh Hooper talked about that post game and called that championship level character um, mm. of, of Savion Williams. And, you know, you think about Savion where last week we hyped him up because he set his own kind of career highs for receptions and yards 
had an excellent game against Texas. He comes out this week, only has two catches, makes an incredible catch on a 41-yarder where the ball's thrown to the wrong shoulder. He makes a great adjustment and still goes over and gets it. But for him to still be giving that level of effort blocking downfield, and that's not the only play. He he had a great downfield block on one of Amani Bailey's long touchdown runs. He was doing work all day without the football Mm -hmm. in his hands. Um, That is exactly what you're hoping to see from one of your guys who is a veteran leader on the team, who, by the way, still has another year and didn't participate in senior day. So Savion Williams, hat tip to you, good sir, because you helped that first touchdown happen for Jared Wiley. And then, yes, Jared Wiley just did big man, six, seven man things pretty much for the rest of the day. Yeah, he he was. Yeah, he, he was. He was the guy that that we've all believed and expected him to be. And just really, it was really fun to see him have that in his last ride in the Carter. Um, mm-hmm. And Baylor is so bad. They are like, just so bad. Uh, but again, you want to see teams. Dis- you want to see your team destroy teams that just aren't as good as you. And, mm-hmm. and, and TCU really took that to, to root, I think on, on Saturday against the bears. Um, it was great to see Josh Hoover, who again has been really, really good when he's had the opportunity to be, you know, against uh, maybe what we want to consider lesser competition. But that's again, he's a redshirt freshman quarterback. When you put him in situations where he should be able to exploit them, you want to see him exploit them, and that's what he did. He had a great game. Um, you talked about Imani Bailey. Um, you know, did did some really nice things. Had some, you know, it was a tough sled in there early on, but just absolutely, just after he ripped off that first big run, he, he was pretty unstoppable. Um, and the TC defense, which you know didn't didn't look great early on, like they were fine, they weren't bad, um, but got a little juice after that inexplicable fourth and eleven, uh, you know, offensive uh, play that Baylor ran, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, from there, just really just kind of stepped on their necks and, and ended ended the Bears right there. So um, you want to beat your rival. You want to beat your rival at home. Um, you want to put your rival in a body bag when given the opportunity. And after some tough, tough, close games against the Bears the last few years, TCU had this one pretty much sewn up before halftime or right after halftime. And um, went, Bears went from, you know, being within a field goal of a one-point game to, to packing up the bus pretty quickly. You know, uh, that 4th and 11 play – came about halfway through the third quarter. And that was kind of when I realized that Baylor knew they weren't going to win that football game, because I think Dave Aranda knew at that point that TCU was going to be able to score however much they wanted that day. And you talk about fourth downs, TCU had four fourth down stops in the second half that really helped seal things for this, for this win. Um, Obviously they pulled away in the end, the Imani Bailey touchdown run to kind of, cap everything off made the score look really really nice um but you're talking about a two possession game for the majority yeah. of the second half where a score here you know anything can really happen and on fourth down consistently in the second half TCU just said nope nope yeah. you're not going to get there you're not going to yeah. do it it's not going to happen you're not coming back in this football game and that was really nice to see that was really nice to see. And we can have our conversations about the quality of Baylor's offense and, and what's been going on on that side of the football for them all year. But it was really nice to see TCU put a complete game together. Yeah, It's the first time they've done that since BYU. I would contend that it was probably outside of the second half of Texas, their best football they've played this yeah. year. And again, you had, you said it perfectly earlier. Why did we have to wait until weeks 10 and 11 to see their best football? We just, you know, there are a lot of a myriad reasons, but it was good to finally see it. And now the question is, how do you carry that forward on the road in Norman when TCU hasn't won there since 2005, which was my freshman year of undergrad, by the way, yeah. and um, make sure that you get those 15 extra practices and that bowl game to finish out your season. Well, it's, yeah, if you can look, we saw Oklahoma struggle against BYU last week. Um, you know, we, we know Dylan Gabriel is, is questionable at this point with the, I think a concussion, mm-hmm. I think they've announced that. Um, 
So you'd like to hope that if TCU can play with the same fire and juice and execute at a high level, that they've got a shot uh, to get bowl eligible here. Um, I, I know I've seen some people talking about, uh, you know, five and seven TCU qualifying. The APR score is not anywhere close to it. There's too many teams in front of them that they're not going to be a five and seven invite. It doesn't look like. Um, so they've got to go out and win. Uh, but OU's got a lot to play for too. They still, I don't even, I don't even want to bring up the tiebreaker, big 12 tiebreaker stuff on this podcast. I don't want to be different options. Yeah. I don't want to be here for another hour. Um, but <laughs> the, yeah, it, it's, it's bad guys. It's, it's bad out there. Um, there's a lot of people have posted about it on. You want to be really depressed. Yeah. hundred and different, 128 different big 12 championship options yeah. and zero. Including TCU. Yeah. Yeah, uh, TCU, Baylor, and the four new teams are the only teams that are fully eliminated, I think, from uh, making a Big 12 championship right now. Life is pain. Life is pain. Um, but at least we're not Baylor. So, uh, True. yeah. True. But, yeah, but uh, it's possible. I mean, OU, when they've looked good, they've looked really good, but they've looked not really good enough to think that there's hope here. And TCU certainly has the talent. Um, OU will make life miserable for Josh Hoover. I'm sure Brett Vanables has a great game plan for that, but... Uh, hey, I, I, stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. So true. Stranger things have happened. Um, very excited to to hear your your preview work for that game yeah. and and kind of jump into that later this week. Um, but let's kind of shift away from football for a little bit and talk hoops because TCU men's basketball has the opportunity on Tuesday night to do something that's super cool that hasn't been done before in TCU basketball history. Um, so as we know, if if you paid attention to basketball to this point, the men's team is 4-0. They've had four really strong games to start the season against overmatched competition. But just last year, TCU basketball lost to Northwestern State, so let's not take anything for granted here. Um, meanwhile, on the women's side of things, they're 5-0. If TCU wins on, tu- on Tuesday night against Alcorn State, that will mark the first time in TCU basketball history that both the men's and women's teams have started five and up. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. So I hope that that happens because that'll be a fun uh, little thing to note. And it's a signal, I think, Melissa, of the larger picture of what's going on with basketball and that it's continuing to improve year over year on the men's side of things. We'll get, we'll get to the women in a second, but on the men's side of things, it's looking like they've found a, good formula for how to address needs in the portal, how to build a roster that's deep and capable of doing the things that Jamie Dixon knows how to coach into incredibly well. Transition baskets, tough defense, elite rebounding. Uh, He knows how to get the most out of his players in those three areas. And he started to portal and recruit in a way that allows him to get the most out of players who are already really, really good at those things. And I think that's maybe an underrated talent of coaches outside of just getting really good players. How do you get the most out of those guys in a way that produces wins for you? And I think Jamie Dixon is really hitting his stride in that regard. Well, and everything we said about using the portal in football, the opposite is true in basketball. You absolutely can go go get one or two guys that are bought in for one season and, and transform your program. Um, but like you said, I think that what Jamie Dixon has done exceptionally well is not just getting talented guys, but getting guys that do the things that he wants to be able to do. Um, and, you know, this the CC basketball team has flaws. You know, mm-hmm. and you you talked about that and, and Jamie Dixon's preseason honesty. They're not perfect. They've gotten off to some slow starts against the lesser competition, but – uh, I, I think what you see is is that second half, TC basketball in the second half is an elite team. Um, they, they have looked yes. like an absolutely elite team in every game that they've played. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are, you know, we still haven't really seen E-Man just really get fully rolling yet. And I, I think that that's probably on purpose. He doesn't need to unveil the whole bag of tricks here against the likes of mm-hmm. Alcorn State, you know, of, of the world. Um, but I, I love the pieces that are there. Uh, Jameer Nelson Jr. has been outstanding what a perfect fit for what yeah. jamie dixon wants to do on both ends of the floor uh I, this is not a true point guard you know this is not a, a kid that that's played a lot of this position and his playmaking i think has been a really i don't want to say a surprise but mm-hmm. his ability to consistently be the playmaker on that offense has been a really pleasant surprise and, and he's just yes. so freaking fun to watch he's so I, fun to watch i love watching him play basketball um because he's always like towing that line of going as fast as you possibly can and maintaining like control over your body, yeah. which is something that Mike miles was so, yes. so very good yeah. at, which was 
hey, I'm going to be faster than you because I'm faster than you, but also watch me like hit the brakes, contort my body, draw contact, get this layup, do all of the kinds of intangible things. Um, Where I think Jameer Nelson is a little bit ahead of point guards TCU has had in the past is in the turnover department. Mm-hmm. Because he's only turned the ball over nine times through the first four games wow. in comparison to 14 assists and 15 steals. Yeah, this so, is the defense. The he's dis- got to be the best yeah. defensive point guard we've seen. And I asked, I asked Dixon about him the other day because I think he had seven steals through the first two games. And now he's got like he's increased that off of the last two games. But uh, I just asked, you know, how much of a challenge is it for opponents when you've got a guard? that can defend on the perimeter like Nelson, who seems to always have uh, be in a, in a passing lane or see get a, get a crazy steal coming on a backdoor cut or whatever it is. And Dixon talked about his ability to just be disruptive in ways that you aren't expecting because like, you're going to expect defenses to get into passing lanes some or to get hands in the face and have active hands, like defending you kind of in a normal defensive stance. But he said where Jameer really does something different is He's disruptive with his hands in kind of unexpected ways coming off of a screen. Oh, he's going to get behind you and try to slap the ball out or helping down on a big, he's going to go for the ball. He's not just going to put his body in the way. And that's helped him get some of these seals so far this year. It's also, you know, I think helped TCU's transition game because if your point guards, the guy getting the steal, everybody else. Just yep. Yep. Everybody else just run. And then you've got guys that are improved with the ball in their hands this year, like E-Man, who you mentioned. Micah Peavy has looked excellent offensively oh, so far this year. So good. Totally different dude. Jacoby Coles has looked excellent with the basketball in his hands this year. He's been one of the best shooters out of the gate for this team. Plus, you've got Avery Anderson, Trey Tennyson, who is off to a little bit of a slower start. But once his shot gets going, Frog fans are going to fall in love with him. Yeah. Right? And so you've got this depth that is capable of running the court and looking so different every time they run down the court. You don't know who's going to have the ball, but it's all starting with the defense and the steals that Jameer Nelson is generating, which is a very, very fun development early on this season. And this, I mean, this is just a a fun team to watch on the defensive end. Um, You know, you talk about the size and the length that they have. You mentioned Micah Peavy and his offensive development. He's still doing Micah Peavy things on defense. Um, There's just so much length. There's so much length. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a a huge backcourt, but it's a bigger backcourt than we've seen often the last couple of years, right? Like you've got a lot more size and length there. Um, Avery Anderson, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's been a pretty good defensive player as his offense has kind of warm, warmed up and come around. Um, And and once you get into the paint, uh, you're going to get one shot. If you get any, Uh, their TCU is not giving up a ton of offensive rebounds, just the effort Mm -hmm. uh, that that you mentioned, you know, um, Uday and and how, what a weapon he is inside, but, and Masafa isn't as good of a defensive player, but he plays with a ton of energy and a ton of hustle. And so he makes the most of what he's got. Uh, It's again, the big 12 is going to be, we say, this every year but it is going to be the grindiest grind that has ever ground this year uh when you talk about the teams that you're adding in it's not getting any easier tcu has a difficult schedule uh this is a team i don't think it's unreasonable to expect to be in the mix to finish fourth or fifth or sixth but as long as they can finish right around 500 they're going to be a tournament team and they're going to be a battle-tested tournament team that can mm-hmm. easily finally get over the hump of that first weekend and make it to a sweet 16 and the pieces are there they're fun to watch um on both ends of the floor and and you can tell this is a team that's played a lot of basketball together they got the benefit of the european trip there's a lot of leadership yeah. there's a lot of buy-in um and, and they just they have great intangibles great character up and down that bench so uh it should be it should be a lot of fun to see the season start to kind of ramp up here in the next several weeks and get into big 12 play and we haven't even mentioned chuck o'bannon yet or yeah. Xavier cork yet chuck o'bannon's a guy who yeah. started i think close to 60 games at tcu yeah and he's coming off the bench yeah right now and he's coming off the bench and giving you energy defensively he's been excellent defensively um he's not settling for threes like he has the past couple of years which i think was drawing the frustration of some folks where oh he's just gonna he's gonna spot up and shoot from wherever he is no he's helping create offense he's being incredibly active defensively and giving you a ton of good minutes great rebounding great rebounding blocking a ton of shots as well um and then xavier cork who 
was forced into the starting center duties last year when TC was incredibly thin in the front court and is now back to his, hey, I'm going to be the most physical guy on the basketball court for 12 to 16 minutes a game. I'm going to get all the rebounds. I'm going to throw down at least one massive dunk and yep. bang on the top of my head and get hyped. And like it, it's, it, there are still, like you said, obvious flaws. Defensively, they're not where they need to be. They're turning the ball a little, over a little too much on offense right now. But this is going to be a very, very good basketball team come Big 12 play that is going to compete. It's going to challenge all of the best teams in the league because, frankly, they are one of the best teams in the league. And if they play like they're capable of playing, they can beat anybody they want on any given night. If they don't play like they're capable of playing, they're going to be capable of losing to anybody on that given night. That's the ceiling and the floor situation right now. And I think that's how it's always going to be. But I'm very excited about this team. 4-0 looking at five and zero in the face with Alcorn state coming to town on Tuesday night. And then they've got a week off before one more home game. And then they hit the road for Georgetown Clemson and come back for Arizona state at Dickey's arena. So we're going to see near the end of this non-conference schedule, a little bit of a bump up in competition. Uh, and that'll be really nice to see, uh, can maybe get a better litmus test of where exactly this team stacks up. Hey, you talk about teams that can beat any team on any given night, um, and it transitions us perfectly mm-hmm. into the women's side. Uh, you mentioned that that they're off to this hot start. First, Mark Campbell's the first TCU women's basketball coach to start five and zero, and and could be a part of uh, setting that TCU program, both sides program record here if if the if the men take care of business against Alcorn State. Um, man, that like y'all, like I'm gonna say it. We've said it before, but if you are not paying attention to TCU women's basketball. Get on the bandwagon it's time now. To start. It's time Jump to start. Th- this is not just a good women's basketball team. This is a fun basketball team, period. If you yes. like the game, you're going to want to watch this team play. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk, I'm going to let you talk about Madison Connor and what she could do. I am Gosh. obsessed with Sedona Prince. Um, yeah. Just her size, her agility, her. you talk about body control in the paint. Um, the way that she's able to finish, draw contact, and then make free throws. Uh, this team has so many exceptional pieces. Um, they do so many things well. Again, the, the Big 12 is going to be stacked on the women's side, just like it is on the men. There are some really, really good programs up and down this conference. But I will be shocked if TC women are not in the mix for an NCAA tournament bid this year. Uh, you t- you know, just like we said with Jamie Dixon, Mark Campbell understands how to use the portal. He understands how to draw not just talent, but the right talent. And look, like, I, I know he's going to talk about Haley Cavender, Sonoda Prince, the basketball players, but it doesn't hurt to get a little juice around your program, too, and to get eyeballs on it. And, and he's been able to do that by recruiting talented players that are also known commodities, not just on the court, but off the court around college basketball. Uh, this is an exciting group. And, and I know, you know, everybody has so much respect you know, for, for Reagan Peebley and what this program has been. And, and she, that, that COVID year really just, just changed the momentum of this program uh, in a way that was, was pretty uncontrollable. Uh, It's really, it's really cool to see TC Woods basketball back elevated alongside what we've seen happen um, with so many other programs on this campus to be, I I think has a chance to be a a real contender in the upper middle echelon of the big 12 this year and, and in contention for an NCAA tournament bid. This is one of those situations where I'm trying to temper expectations because yeah. I've seen what TC women's basketball has been for the last couple of years. Yeah. And you're right. You're absolutely right. that COVID changed things for TCU basketball in a way that it didn't in other programs across the country. Yeah. Um, but the fact that in eight months of being on the job, nine months now, 10 months or something, somewhere around there, less than a year on the job, Mark Campbell has turned over the roster built a coaching staff that's ready to compete right now and gone out and done something no other women's basketball coach has done in the history of the program and winning the first five games of his tenure tells me that whatever may come in the future, Jeremiah Zanotti hired the right dude for the job at the right time. Like this was the guy that you had to go and get. He had the pedigree of being a recruiting coordinator and associate head coach at Oregon state and at Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Both, both. He was at yeah. both. Um, the kids that he recruited at Oregon State made it to a Final Four the year after he left to go be the associate head coach at Oregon, where he brought Sabrina Ionescu to campus. Only the most, only the most decorated basketball player, men or women's, in the history of the sport at the college level. Number one overall pick in 2020. Um, 
and, and to do what he did there at Oregon and then to take over a Sac State program that was so, so new and so bad. And what wasn't did he do? new, but new at well, that 1991, level. 1991 yeah. was when they yeah. became D one. Right. And so, I mean, yeah. you're talking about a team that had been for less than 25 years, a D one program first time winning 20 games, first time winning a conference championship in program history, first time making the NCAA tournament in program history had two all conference players of the year in back-to-back seasons. And the guy just understands what it takes to build a culture, build a program. And now he's going to, he's already started doing that at TCU. I wrote close to 1300 words on him and his impact on the program earlier this week on Horned Frog Blitz. It's free to read. You do not have to have a subscription to go read it. I tweeted out the link. I'll probably put it out there again at some point this week because I want people to go and read about TCU women's basketball and about Mark Campbell because when I sat down and talked to him and I didn't get a lot of time with him, I'm thankful for the time that I had. You know, I just asked him, I said, you know, when you think about the quick wins that you've gotten the momentum that you've created from a media perspective and the, in the faces that you've brought in, and we can talk about Haley Cavender in a second. Um, how do you capture all of this momentum and energy and put it into the vision that you have long-term for this program? And he gave what I thought was such an incredible answer. He's like, all of that stuff is going to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. He's like, what we have to continue to be focused on is recruiting the right kids into this program, kids that are humble, kids that are selfless, kids that are competitive competitors. We want those qualities in our kids to come into this program and understand that we're going to, we're going to be completely honest with them. We're going to be completely authentic with them. And we expect the same in return. And we're all going to compete together to be better on the court and off of it. And we've seen that from day one with this guy and when you hear his players talk about him, when you hear Jaden Owens and Sedona yeah. Prince talk about him in a press conference and say, Sedona's like, I took my name out of the WNBA draft. I would not have come back to college for any other coach other than Mark Campbell. And she hadn't played with him as a coach in three years. Yeah. Right. And when Jaden Owens says, I've seen fake coaches, I've seen real coaches. Yeah. And where, where did Jaden Owens play? She before? came from Baylor. And <laughs> She's been through a couple coaches at Baylor and um, she's like, the first time I got on the phone with him, I cried because I could just, you can tell when someone's real and when someone's not. Yeah. Um, and then you see the character of, of a, a kid like Madison Connor, who, when she was asked on Sunday afternoon about who she got her shot from and she just says hard work. <laughs> She's like, I wasn't a very good shooter when I got to college, but you have to be really, really good at something to survive in college basketball. She's like, I was in the gym all the time. I was in the gym all the time. She was an under-recruited kid who ended up at Arizona still and has spent the last several years of her life in the gym perfecting her three-point shot. Melissa, who does that remind you of? Hmm. A guy who signed a pretty good contract. $200 uh, million. Yeah. $200 million yeah. Desmond Bain. NBA, yeah. Right? Like, these are the character kids that that mark campbell has already started bringing on campus and he's got another one coming next year in Haley cavender who everyone will talk about being a social media influencer and her fame and her podcast with her twin sister and the jake paul stuff and the wwe stuff but they'll gloss over the fact that at what 22 years old she's created an incredibly successful successful business with her sister and by the way she was the leading scorer leading assist getter leading minutes player shot 40% from three on a team that went to the elite eight for the first time in program history last year at Miami. She's a former mountain West player of the year at Fresno state. Like she's a baller. She's averaging almost 17 points a game for her career over seven, over seven rebounds a game for her career and close to four assists per game for her career. Yeah. She's a baller. Yeah. Uh, Or sorry, as Mark Campbell would say, she's a hooper. Right. And so, you're just you're talking about a, an opportunity to get on a bandwagon at the perfect time because I think I genuinely genuinely think that what Mark Campbell is going to be doing with women's basketball over the next couple of years is going to be one of the more impressive things we see in college athletics from a turnaround perspective I truly truly do I'm fully fully drinking the Kool-Aid with yeah. this program right now 
And it would be a huge leap for this team to make the NCAA tournament. But when you look at the players that he brought in and the veterans and and how many of them, this is kind of their last go around in college basketball. Um, I, I'd be surprised if, if they weren't there. I, you're right. We don't want to we, just, we talked about wanting to temper expectations. We wish that football expectations had been tempered. So we should temper them for women's basketball. But um, I will, I will say this, watch this team play, watch this. If watch you them. love the game of basketball because their offense is, is super fun to watch that they, they just do good things. If you want to see someone, somehow take 15 threes in a game and be open for every single one yeah. of them. Watch yeah. Madison Connor. She yeah. shot 57 threes through five games. She's hitting them at 40, uh, better than 45% clip. Yeah. She's 57 she's threes attempted through the first five games. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And I write more about this in the article too, about his offensive identity, what he likes to have, what he likes to do defensively and all this kind of stuff. But the fact that he managed to get Jaden Owen, Sedona Prince, and Madison Connor here at the same time yep. to run the offense that he likes to do, which is four out, one in, run a lot of triangle stuff and a lot of pick and rolls, a lot of screens. Like he could not have, he could not have written it up any better. Yeah. He could yeah, not have written it up any it's, better. It's it's a great scenario. Um, you know, football season has been a disappointment, um, but there's a lot of excitement building in basketball, mm-hmm. both the men's and the women's. There's a lot of good things happening around TCU athletics. Um it's you know jamie it feels like it's a good time to be a tcu horn frog it's always a good time to be a tcu horn frog unless you're paid tuition tough scenes tough i will say this tuition went up eight percent every year that i was an undergrad now it started from a, a lower number for sure and i think that there are some things about how much you have to pay for a college education these days that are obnoxious but yeah. it is still a it's great time expensive. to be a horn frog. And and they're still gonna get 30 something thousand applications. It's fine. Everything's great. I will also note that scholarships and, and grants all went up by the same amount. All went up as well. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. TCU's got some good stuff going on the scholarship side. Scholarship yes. side, as I almost They've said. They just raised a lot of money to help offset Billion dollars. Of those expenses. Billion yeah. dollars, Billion dollars. All right. We are gonna go for now. I think that's gonna do it for this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. We will be back later this week. Melissa's gonna preview yeah. TCU's final game in Oklahoma. One final run with Crimson and Cream Machine. And, Love and to see I will it. say, don't, don't, not gonna miss Oklahoma and Texas. We'll miss getting to talk to my friends at Oklahoma and Texas preview games. So one yeah. one last ride with CCM. It'll be fun. It'll be a good time. We'll do a mailbag as always over on the site. If you want to ask a question for the mailbag, I've said this the last couple of mailbag episodes, subscribe over at Horn Frog Blitz, comment your question in the thread that I start. That'll actually be on Tuesday this week instead of Wednesday because of the holiday. And uh, I will answer it over there. And that's a perk to paying for the site over there is that you get to ask a question in the mailbag um, because that way I also have an amount that I can answer in a reasonable amount of time. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who's listened to this point. Just a reminder, go and like the podcast, leave a rating and review, hit the like button on that YouTube channel as well. Buy all of your gear from Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefieldapparel.com. And we will talk to you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.